Thanks, team. Hey, good morning, church. It is very good to be with you this morning. True Minnesotans, every one of you. I'm from Ohio. This is really... That's okay. Thank you. It's cold, man. It's cold. Okay. Um, if you got your bulletin with you, why don't you check it out. And there is a blue insert here with a bunch of... Uh, missional markers. These are the missional markers of our denomination, the covenant denomination. And we're kind of preaching through this at the beginning of this year to discover more of what God is calling us into in our mission as a church community, as a Jesus community. And today we're specifically looking at a life transforming walk with Jesus. So if you turn to the back, we've got some bullet points here. And I just want to read the bullet points that our denomination has set forth describing what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be in a transformational relationship with him. This is what they have to say. Number one, we teach our people how to be attentive to Christ in all circumstances. Number two, our people understand the radical nature of the message of and mission of Jesus that continually deconstructs and reconstructs a person's life. And third, our people are equipped and growing in their ability to use a variety of spiritual growth resources, experiences, and settings. Now, I have to say, as I've been prepping for this sermon, I've probably read over those three bullet points probably 20 to 30 times, prayed over them, thought through them. And each time I read them, I saw a new layer of truth and meaning and significance. These are powerful words with meaningful ideas connected to them. Right? But one of the things that I appreciate most of all in this list is a unapologetic caveat that the covenant makes. And if you missed it, let me read them again once more with the caveat attached to it, with an emphasis. We teach our people how to be attentive to Christ in all circumstances. Our people understand the radical nature of the message and the mission of Jesus that continually deconstructs and reconstructs a person's life. Our people are equipped and growing in their ability to use a variety of spiritual growth resources and settings. The professed tone of our denomination is that a life transformed is a life lived with Jesus. And see, in our day and age, there are a lot of transformational methods, right? From Tybo, anyone remember Tybo? Right? Billy Blanks. He was strange. That's okay. Um, Right, so from workout videos to extreme diets to, to books with statistical measures that will change the way that you do the nine to five job from everything under the sun. And all of them have to do with habits and aptitudes and strengths. And they're good. They're really useful. I've read a lot of them because I care about making goals and I care about achieving those goals. But the professed tone of this sermon and this church and the church at large is that a life with Jesus creates a transformed soul. Right, something that happens deep within you that, that you don't, you're not entirely in charge of all on your own, that you're a part of, but that God steps in and does a work in you that you can't do on your own. This is a transformational life with Jesus. A few weeks ago during the first service, Pastor Chris said something that I, I thought was profound. And, and I put it on the, on the slide here. We honor Christ by becoming more like him. Now, if you're new to this church and uh, you're getting to know people around here, I guarantee that you will hear talk of honor, 
right? In this community, it's, it's kind of ingrained in our DNA that whatever we do, whatever we are involved in as a church, we're asking ourselves the question, what do, how are we honoring God in this process? How are we honoring his name? Because that is our name, right? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us, is the name that we bear. And it's not our name by right. It is a given name that God has entrusted us to carry and represent what it means to our community. But not just to our community, right? Because this series is entitled Emmanuel.Church. And we're kind of proclaiming that God has provided a new domain home for us, right? We are transitioning out of our current domain home into a new one that will represent Emmanuel to the worldwide world web. And so with that gift comes a certain amount of responsibility, and it's that responsibility that I'd like to talk a little bit more about today. Again, in your bulletin, if you will, indulge me, there is another insert that says, find your next. I encourage you to pull this out. Find your next. As Pastor Chris, as Pastor Chris has recently said, uh, we are hoping to turn this insert into an online tool that will help people get integrated into our community and discover new resources and new life with Jesus. And I'm pumped for that day. I think it'll be an awesome, powerful resource for our church. But until that day, this stands as a reminder that there is a, new, a next step for each of us in our walk with Jesus. And my encouragement to you today is to think through that as this sermon progresses. What is that next step for me with Jesus. Because the truth is, no matter where you are with Christ, there's something next. If you're sitting here today and you've been following Jesus for the past 20 years, developing a life of prayer and a life of devotion unto the one true God, and you're saying, yep, I'm learning, I'm still learning, I'm still developing, there's a next step for you. Perhaps you're in this room right now and you've been burned by the church and the name of Jesus is actually kind of hard to hear. There is a next step for you. Or perhaps you're here and you don't really know very much about Jesus at all. There is a next step for you. And today I want to discover a little bit more meaning around that next step and what it could be for each of us here today. So going backwards a little bit, when we look, when we look at the three bullet points set up by our denomination concerning a transformational walk with Jesus, the inevitable question we all ask following that is, yeah, but How? Right? How do, how do I do that? I mean, I remember as, as a high schooler and then a college student writing papers, like I would have all the, the material I need and all the resources I, I would need for this paper, and I would sit in front of my computer and just be like, yeah, but I don't have a first sentence. Like, I don't know what the first word is. Like, how do I get this journey started in the first place? And that's kind of what I want to look at in our walk with Jesus, because it's so, so often we get in, in, into this culture of Christianity where we're just supposed to know. And the truth is, we're not. That's, that's not how humans are designed. We, we are designed to learn and to grow and to have a starting point. And I want to discover what that starting point is for some of us today. You see, I, I want to break transformation into two sections today. The first, I want, the first thing I want to do is I want to define what transformation is. I, I want to look into Scripture and try to figure out what, what's a biblical understanding of transformation. And secondly, I want to ask, what does transformation mean? a walk with Jesus require of us. Because the truth is with any change, with any transformation, there's going to be new requirements, right? If you wanna get in shape, you gotta get off the couch and go to the gym. And that takes a lot of effort. 
That takes a lot of change, right? A lot, a lot of attitude shift. Like, I really want to watch this rerun of Blue Bloods right now, but I got to go to the gym or whatever TV show you watch, right? It, it's, it's a priority shift. A, any change requires something. And I want to ask ourselves, what does Jesus require of us in our change? So let, let me begin today trying to define biblically what a transformation is. And, and I'll start with a metaphor. When I proposed to my wife, I had only two goals. One, she would say yes, pretty, pretty crucial goal. Uh, but then two, kind of a personal goal, that she would look back on that day 40 years from now and smile. Like it would just be a pinprick of happiness. That each time maybe we were going through a tough time or, or things were down, she could go back to that moment and just be like, man, that was so cool. That was my goal. Um, and my wife loves surprises, like loves surprises. I hate surprises, but she really likes them a lot. So I thought to myself, okay, let's make this the biggest surprise ever. Like let's, let's just knock this surprise out of the water. And so what we'll do is, is I'll, I'll get 120 people, friends and family of Kelsey's, and we'll do a flash mob. And I'll propose. Um, I brought a video today. You probably don't want to see it. Oh, we do. We do? Okay. All right, Joe, go ahead. She said yes. It was awesome. I mean, one of the coolest moments of my life. Uh, I had friends that, like, peeked in to see what was going on during the thing, and they were like, dude, we're never going to be able to propose to our girlfriends now. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> um, but no, so the reason I showed that to you is because that was a hugely transformational moment in my life. I mean, I loudly proclaimed to who is now my wife, Kelsey, hey, I'm all in. And I got 100 people ready to be here to, you know, back me up on this. I'm ready to go, right? It was transformational. It was moving. It was powerful. And she said yes. And so my goal was met. But now hang with me. Let's say that after the lights were shut off, the music was done, the people all went home, and it was just Kelsey and I hanging out on the couch. And I said to her, well... I guess my work is kind of done now. Like I did the whole proposal thing and now I, 
I'm done. Like, I, we just are married, and that's, I don't have to do any more work. Now, you're looking at me a little stunned, but hang with me. I mean, I've put a lot of thought and effort into this proposal. Like, I had to organize the place. I had to find a guy who can run sound and lights. I had to get 120 people into the same room and teach them choreography, many of whom were not classically trained dancers, people. Just telling you right now. And then I had to make sure that Kelsey was on the right schedule, that she was going to get there at the right time, not show up too early, and then put on the whole production to make sure she said yes. So I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I put a lot of work into this. I, I, shouldn't be have, I shouldn't be required to do anything else. Of course not, right? <laughs> of course not. That, I mean, that would be if absolutely insane to think even for a moment that the, the extravagance of my proposal would be enough, carry enough weight to carry us through a lifetime together would be in a word incredibly immature. There's no way, even, even though that was the biggest thing that I could have possibly thought of at the time, to, to profess my love to, to my, you know, wife, it wasn't enough to carry me through. It, it, it wouldn't have lasting power. The moment of my proposal, although transformational, was only the beginning of, a living, of, of living a life transformed. The first point I want to make today, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down, is simply this. Transformation is as much a process as it is an instance. This is why I think the covenant chooses the language of a journey to describe life, a life of transformation. A journey, especially a life-changing one, doesn't begin and then end immediately, right? It's not incredibly easy and it's not also impossible. It requires challenge and adaptability. Our walk with Jesus is a treacherous one filled with temptations and huge pitfalls. And it's in those temptations and pitfalls that Jesus meets us and proves himself over and over and over again. You see, the hard part for many of us is that we like making new goals, Right, we, we like professing new things. Like that was a lot of fun for me to put on. I really enjoyed that, right? And I think that's probably why we like New Year's, right? New year, new me. I'm, I'm gonna change a lot of things in my life right now. But the hard part is kind of walking that out as the year goes on. G.K. Chesterton, who was a writer and a theologian many years ago, kind of connected that to our walk with Jesus. And he, he says this, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as much as it has been found difficult and left untried. The hard part for many of us is, is the walking out of faith. A life with Jesus is a life of finding your next, of looking forward. See, when Jesus called his first disciples in the gospel of Luke chapter 5, verse 11, he sees a couple of his future disciples out in a boat fishing. And they've had kind of a rough night, right? So they, ha they haven't really caught any fish, but they've been out there all night. And so morning is coming. Jesus is standing on the shore, and he yells out to them, hey, cast your net out one more time. And they're like, yeah, okay. But he's like, no, really, do it. So they do, and they catch such a load of fish that it almost capsizes their boat and tears their nets. Afterwards, in verse 8, Simon Peter comes before Jesus and lays before him and says this, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In other words, he recognizes that there's something different about this guy that he's not worthy of. 
Something unique is happening in Jesus right now. And then in verse 10, Jesus has this great line where he says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And the scripture goes on to say, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There are two interesting things here. One, they saw Jesus worthy enough of leaving everything, leaving their livelihoods, leaving their jobs, leaving what they knew as normal behind them to follow him. But number two, they did just that. They followed. They started out at a journey. They didn't just count the the miracle of catching a boatload of fish as the end, but only as the beginning. The point here is what I mentioned earlier. Transformation is as much a process as it is an instance. And in no way am I wanting to minimize the moment, uh, the proposal moment. I, I take them kind of seriously, right? That, that, that instance of commitment to Jesus is crucial. Without it, there's no journey. Without it, there is no life with Jesus. So it's crucial that we have it. But I would argue that it's sometimes easier for us to make a commitment than it is to have follow through. The danger for many followers of Jesus is in the following. It is wrapped up in trying to understand how how the commitment they made at camp or in church or at home with family and friends or inspired by the pages of the Bible and the stories of Jesus actually has sway on their real lives. How does the transformational moment converge into a transformed life? There's a book by a pastor scholar named Eugene Peterson who is responsible for writing a popular version of the Bible called The Message. And the book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I've always just loved that title. This book is about the Christian life. The tagline is Discipleship in an Instant Society. And the title of the book is actually stolen from, not stolen, just borrowed. It's borrowed from a philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche. Now Nietzsche was an atheist. He wrote a book once called Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And in it he exclaimed, we have killed God. God is now dead. We have discovered science and other ways of understanding the world. And he is no longer needed. And while that may seem like a very unlikely character to name a book of discipleship after, he has a quote in another work of his that that goes like this. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. And what Peterson does with this quote is he mines it for its essential truth and connects it to the eternal truth, which is Jesus. In other words, he is drawing the church into this idea that following Jesus is a lifetime thing. It's a relationship thing. It's a marriage kind of thing that takes time and effort and knowledge and practice. It's not one and done. It takes time. So, transformation is as much a process as it is an instance. That's my working definition, my biblical working definition of what a transformation is. So now let's shift gears a little bit. Let's have some straight talk about what it means to actually live into a life of transformation. What are things that we can do from Scripture that help us become more like Jesus and transform ourselves? If a transformational walk with Jesus is indeed connected to a lifestyle, then there must be some requirements. 
right? Some things are going to have to change. And in Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, Jesus gives his disciples what is known as the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles today, I encourage you to open them to Matthew 28. If you're here today and you don't own a Bible or you don't have one with you, there are some at the entrance and exits of this room. Please take them and enjoy them. But in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus says this to his disciples before he leaves. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in this commission, I believe that there are four requirements of someone who is wanting a transformational walk with Jesus. These are not the perfect requirements. These are not the only requirements. These are four from Jesus, from the teaching of the Great Commission. The first has to do with perspective. Jesus begins his final words to the disciples by reminding them all this. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, let let me be clear about something here. As clear as I possibly can, when Jesus is saying this, he's not trying to, to puff himself up to look bigger out of an insecure spot. He is simply stating a profound truth. You see, in in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the evangelist tells us that in the beginning was the Word. And this Word he speaks of is Jesus. He goes on to say of Jesus that he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is essentially saying um, that everything that can be known and seen and observed and loved and appreciated in our world came through Jesus. And he emphasizes the point by saying that without Jesus, there would be essentially nothing. Later in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews says this of Jesus. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The author of Hebrews begins this letter by saying that not only is Jesus radiating God-likeness or godliness, but that he is the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus is God. And with that kind of authority, with that proof of authority, let alone that this guy just raised from the dead. He stands before his disciples before leaving, and he reminds them, all authority has been given unto me. I imagine a hush coming over the crowd when they realize what he just said, when they take into account that this is not only their friend, but their Lord. But what does this have to do with our perspective? The moment we replace Jesus' authority with our own is the moment we neglect our commitment to him. A part, an essential part of following Jesus is realizing that he's got the authority and I don't. That I trust him with everything, even my life. That I buy into his way of life and connect it to my greatest joy and my ultimate happiness. The point 
I'm trying to make here is simply this. A transformation doesn't happen until we recognize a change must take place. We follow Jesus because we actually believe that what he said was true. And this comes right out of a teaching in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives a parable at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he says this to his listeners. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. A core belief of the follower of Jesus is that his teachings and commands hold real authority in the actual world. That, that we adhere to Jesus because we believe that he's really smart, right? That he sets out the best life strategy we've ever heard of. And my prayer, truthfully, honestly, my prayer has been that we would, we would meditate on his commands, we would meditate on his on his teachings and his life, and we would say, I will do them. I will do whatever it takes to learn them. I, I will dedicate myself to this teaching because I believe it will change me and the world around me. And so I'll give myself over to it. And then, then we would go into our communities, into our jobs, into our homes, and live as if Jesus' words held real sway over our actual lives. We would be intentional about following the words of Jesus. Let this perspective of Jesus be the foundation we build our house of transformation upon. The second requirement in Jesus' great commission is one of action. He says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. No one knows exactly how long Jesus' life and ministry was some scholars think it was anywhere between three to five years. But in those three to five years, Jesus literally changed the world, let alone of the life of 12 guys that he was with. And then as he's leaving, he's like, all right, here we go, powwow. Let, let's get ready and let's get out there. Let's start, let's start shaking things up a little bit for the kingdom of God. Let's start building the kingdom of God in your communities. And not only in your communities, but across the whole world. In Judea, in Samaria, to the, to the outer rinks of the world at the time. Get busy with the business of heaven is what Jesus says to them. So what, what does that look like for us today, I wonder? As I was thinking about it and praying through it, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that part of what it could look like for us is this insert. To find your next within this church. You see, if you're wanting to discover a more transformational walk with God, I implore you, go. If you want to connect with others in a richer, more meaningful way, then go. If you are wanting to find financial peace, go. If, 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 you, are, if you are not yet serving on a team in this church and desire to, Go. If you are interested in reaching out in Jesus' name to those who are lost and hurting, then go. If, you, if on your mind is the next generation and you want to pour into them to see them achieve greatness that is beyond their wildest dreams, then go. Part of following Jesus is getting busy with the business of heaven. It is taking hold of our faith and moving forward, of getting action in the world around us today and being interested about shaking things up for God's glory. 
The point I'm trying to make here is simply this. Every transformation needs an inciting incident. An inciting incident in literature is the thing, the, the moment that happens in a character's life where everything shifts and they start getting busy doing something, right? If it's the Hobbit, it, it's, it's, it's Bilbo getting, Gandalf is pushed. Okay, I'm going to stop with the, I, I was going to get carried away with Lord of the Rings. I'm going to reel it back. But it's that moment in a character's life where things shift and they realize that something must be done. The world must be saved. My life has to change. Something must shift now. And a transformation needs that moment. And my encouragement to you is to find that moment here in this church. Send Jennifer an email if you want to get invested in a small group. Send me an email if you want to if you want to discover more pathways and, and more resources to diving deeper in faith with Jesus, get action. The third requirement here is one of growth. I struggled with this word. At first it was study, and then it was learning, and then it was developing, and I ended on growth. But the, the idea here is what Jesus says to his disciples. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, there's something to learn here. Take, for instance, my relationship with my wife. If I decided after the proposal I was done, I would have an incredibly unhealthy relationship with my wife. I wouldn't know her. I wouldn't know her, what, what she likes and what she doesn't like, what she needs when she feels scared or alone. I, I, I wouldn't know how to show love. And worse, probably, I wouldn't know how to receive love from her. All of that comes with practice. All of that comes with learning and diligent learning. A life with Jesus is incredibly similar to that. Studying Jesus' commands should begin in Scripture. So what does this look like for us? Well, my challenge to you is, is if you are not currently reading somewhere specific in the Bible, go to the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the stories of Jesus. If you want to get to know Jesus' teachings, that's a great place to start. Read them throughout the entirety of, the, of this next year. Get to know them really, really well. Memorize big chunks of them. But the truth is, Jesus isn't just found in the New Testament. He's all over the Bible. So, so maybe it's just a commitment to sitting down and getting to know the God of the universe or, or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and learning who Jesus as the Son is and how he fits into the mix in your redemption story. And this is not so that we might check a box and become more spiritual or become whatever and so that we can get in touch with the truth and the reality of who God is to learn his love for us. See, this requirement of transformation is discipline, but it unlocks freedom. It is the key that unlocks spiritual freedom. And it is not limited to reading scripture either. Studying Jesus' teachings takes the form of doing, doing the things that he did, like fasting and praying and simplicity and solitude and community and so much more. There was a wonderful book written many years ago, um, not too, too long ago, I guess, but The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And in this book, there are resources upon resources of how the church has, has developed a lifestyle of living with and living like Jesus. I encourage you to check this book out and read it. It's been incredibly helpful for me in my life with Jesus. Just as my relationship with my wife needed me to change, so does my relationship with Jesus. 
And the point I'm trying to make here is simply this. A dedication to learning and living is close to the center of a healthy transformational walk with Jesus. And I would almost even argue a little bit further that if your walk with Jesus isn't healthy, it's not transformational. If you are not learning more about Christ and how he's working in you, I'm not sure there, there's transformation happening. Health is, is necessary. The last point of transformation that we will take from Jesus' great commission is one of a miracle. The miracle of grace. It would be wrong, it would be so wrong for us to neglect the miraculous in our transformation. If for a moment we believe that we could do it on our own, we miss the point. Jesus' last words before he left earth to his disciples were this, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the miracle of grace. As Jesus was leaving, his salutation was one of enduring company. And that can seem maybe a little silly. As he's about to leave the earth, he says, Don't worry, I am with you always. Can imagine feeling, but yeah, but aren't you leaving? Just saying. But of course, what he did was promise us and give to us the presence of his Holy Spirit, which empowers us to be more like Jesus. In this moment, this is Jesus telling us that he's all in. This is Jesus committing to a life together with us. Jesus wasn't just Emmanuel when he was on the earth, he remains with us now. And this is precisely what makes our transformation a journey or a marriage or a walk or whatever. Jesus' presence with us is the basis for a continual process of transformation over a single instance of change. It's my final point. It is precisely because Jesus promises to be with us that change is required in the first place. See, we're not designed or programmed to love God or to love others. We are designed to enter into intimate relationships with people and with God. We are designed to develop and learn the character and nature of other people and to be learned about. See, Jesus isn't interested in a robot. He's interested in a relationship. He enters into the mess, right? He's like, I want the sickness and health kind of relationship, you know? I want, I want, I want poverty and provision. I want to enter into your dysfunction and love you in the midst of it. This is Jesus bending down on one knee, making a commitment to us. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom, and the church, God's people, are referred to as the bride. Just imagine for a moment with me that day, as Jesus calls it, at the end of the age, where Christ is ready and waiting. And not only is he, but so is his bride, mature, resolute, full of understanding and grace and love, walking towards Jesus. That's, 
That is what we are called into in this life of transformation, an eternal relationship that will involve constant change and continual renewal. In closing today, a transformational walk with Jesus is at the center of what it means to be a Christian, period. We must be continually changing, moving towards Jesus. Healthy transformation encourages us to grow and mature. A transformation, a transformative life with Jesus is one that is changing, learning, developing, challenging, and life-giving. To be transformed by Jesus is to enter into a lifestyle of transforming that over time develops in us the nature of Christ. For after all, we honor his name by becoming more like him. Pray with me. Jesus, I pray today that your word has gone forth. Father, I ask in Christ's name that, that we would develop into you that we would enter into a relationship. We wouldn't just make the commitment. We wouldn't just make the proposal. But, oh, God, that we would develop, that we would learn, that we would, that we would get action, and we would take a hold of what is right in front of us with you, Lord, which is eternal joy and happiness with you. God, I, I pray for those who are, who are possibly struggling in their relationship with you. May they find peace and solace now. I pray for those, God, who are running too fast and they're missing you, that they would learn to slow down and sit with you in the quiet and stillness. God, I pray for those who are eager and desire you like, 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 like they're in a desert, like they would desire a drink of water, that you would satisfy their need even now. God, it is good to be in your presence. It is good to gather with your people. Come, Holy Spirit, and meet us here and solidify the word of God in our midst. Father, we trust you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Today, if you would like prayer, there will be people in the back who would be happy to pray with you about anything, but especially your walk with Jesus. Thank you for being here, and may God bless your week.